Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99% where the real gains are made. We have a one-on-one episode today. I am here with Marilyn. Hey, guys. And um, the two of us are going to chat a little bit about uh, a topic that is near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk a lot about race execution. Um, I know last episode we gave our predictions for St. George and we were off by quite a bit. Um, but, and I don't know if it, maybe some of you guys raced St. George, maybe some of you guys watched it, but it seemed like there were a lot of external factors that really played a role in how that race played out and kind of where you were in the waves and like where you were at the course at various times a day, um, really played differently into how your race unfolded. So yeah, we're going to spend some time talking about how different obstacles and elements can can have a positive or negative effect on your personal race. Um, before we get there, though, Marilyn raced over the weekend, and so congrats to you. Thank you. Always fun to pin on a number, like we say. And so you did the the local. What is it? What's the name of that time trial? Is it just is it the state TT or? Yeah, it was the state TT. So they always have the Arizona State Championships. Uh, typically, I mean, it's been a couple different courses, but most times I've done it, it's on that Picacho Peak course, just, uh, straight out and back. Yep. And by the looks of things, you've done this race more than once. Yeah. So I did it in 2011. That's a long time ago. (laughs) Um, 2019, I did it again. And then this, this past weekend. So few, few different times that I've towed the line on this one. And how did this time stack up to those times? You know, it's really interesting is that when I did it back in 2011, I was still racing professionally and, um, obviously much younger than I am now. And can you explain how time works for us? (laughs) Right, exactly. And I, uh, you know, had power on my bike and all of those things. And, I went, I can't remember my exact time. I would have to look it up, but I went right around an hour. I think it might've been just slightly over. Um, And this course, just to sort of give people an idea, it's sort of a false flat all the way out, pretty bumpy, slow road and can be pretty windy. And then uh, you think you'll have a screaming fast time coming back, but for whatever reason, it is definitely always a negative split coming back because it's a slight downhill, but the road sort of undulates enough and it's bumpy enough that it's not, it's not a super fast 40 KTT. It's not, you know, it's somewhere in the middle, but anyways, regardless, I went right around an hour and then 2019 I did it. I hadn't done really any interval training or anything like back into some kind of shape. It was kind of a funny thing. Actually, I had, it was like a time in my life when I sort of kicked my, myself in the ass, I had been sort of fluffing around and acting like an old person. And then I had like this sort of moment where I was like, you know what? I'm not an old person. I think I can actually still ride a bike. All right. And I spent about two weeks, um, you know, riding a lot more and, and sort of not necessarily intervals or anything like that, but just as a different shift in mindset about what I wanted out of my riding. And then I went to that state TT with nothing on my bike, not even a stopwatch. Like I just got to the start line and I knew the course is like, I'm going to ride as hard as I can out. And then I'm going to turn around. I'm going to ride as hard as I can back. And I was bang on right at an hour, like a couple of little tiny, you know, like not the seconds, like 
minutes or anything like that. But the seconds over is like an hour and three seconds or something like that. Again, I'm not great at remembering exact times, but, and I was remember I was so pissed because I was like, man, if I would have known to break an hour for 40 K, that would have been cool. And so it was interesting that I, you know, really opposite extremes and an amount of time. And I did the exact same time almost. And then this time um, I've been in a little bit better race condition shape, but obviously I'm, it's a, another couple years older, not a lot of focus training for the TT or anything like that, but I would say, you know, in a, a significantly different place than I was in 2019. And that like, now I've been in pretty good condition and racing a little bit more and expecting a little more out of myself and those kinds of things. And, um, and I went there and I, I went just a hair under an hour. So 43 years old and I'm doing my fastest 40 Ks that I've, I've literally ever done. So that's kind of, I think that's kind of interesting. And, and this time that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, that's huge. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. And it's cool. And I mean, each time I was the, the fastest female I won or the, you know, that kind of thing, which is always fun to do that and stand up on the podium, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that you're, you know, are you getting better? Are you getting the most out of yourself? Where do you stack up? And this time I had, at least I had a computer, <laughs> I had a stopwatch and I had my heart rate. So, um, nice. So I knew, I knew heart rate and I knew time. And, uh, so that's, that was good. It would be probably good to have power again for TTs, but, but maybe not, you know? Um, so yeah, so really, really fun to, to see that over this many years on the exact same course, which usually is right around the exact same conditions. Cause each time I've done it, it's been at the same time of year and staying, you know, right around the same speed, if not getting a, just a teeny tiny bit faster every time I do it. So, so that's cool. Um, I have some bigger questions about what exactly fluffing around means that you're doing in 2019. We can save that for another time, <laughs> right. but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I guess I wanted to kind of talk to you about your race a little bit because we are talking about execution and you did just have like your fastest 40 K TT and like, I guess, like you said, you didn't shave minutes off or anything, but you did break that hour mark, which is a big deal. And, and gaining seconds in a TT is, is always hard to do. And like you said, like the, the conditions out there are pretty consistent. I mean, every time I've been out there, it's, it's basically always the same. It's like pretty windy. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can imagine it's not just conditions that we're looking at here. It's, it's something else. Um, right. and I mean, it definitely sounds like your preparation into each time was, was slightly different. You weren't exactly following a 40 K TT build program to get ready. Um, but I was wondering if you can kind of walk us through your, your execution of this race. Like, did you feel like you, um, did you feel you got like kind of nailed it? Were you staring at your heart rate and kind of maintaining? Um, yeah, I guess talk to us a little bit about how the, the hour unfolded. Yeah. So what's, what is really good information for people? And one thing I always say to people when they, when they race is try not to decide the outcome before you even ever start. So we do that, right? We paper race a little bit and we also look at our training and we decide, and we think about how we feel race morning, race week. And we have, we have all these predetermined ideas on how we think that the result is going to be. We might even look at like who we're racing, those kinds of things. And I, I will tell you that I had the kind of week going in where when I woke up Sunday morning, if you'd looked at my week and how I felt and had I followed that where, you know, 
uh, looked at all that and said, this is how my race is going to go. You, you would have said, yeah, there's not a chance you're going to have a PR today. I mean, I had done a really hard group ride the day before on the Tuesday I had ridden mountain Graham. I hadn't had a day off my bike all week. Uh, I'd been riding fairly hard all week Had one day easy. Um, you know, life was sort of normal and busy. And so when I woke up that morning, I was pretty, honestly, I was pretty tired and I thought, you know, well, I paid the money. I'm going to go. <laughs> and when I was on the start line, the one thing I said to myself is, well, I'm here, so I'm going to give it everything I've got. And this is one thing that is important, I think, for people to remember is that really consistency and fitness typically trumps all. And you can feel a certain way going into, into these races. And we, we focus so much on being fresh and our tapers, all the things. And I'm not saying that they're not in part important. They certainly are. And you can be overdone and overtired going into a race. However, just being really fit for what you do and then deciding that you're going to execute absolutely the best of your ability in that moment, I think and, and not getting caught up on deciding how the result is going to be before you've even started the race. I think if you can really focus on those things, you might be surprised on how well you can do. And I, and I did make some mistakes. You know, if I look back on my file, even though I don't have power, you could see that my speed was quite high in the first quarter. Uh, of course, heart rate takes time to respond. So heart rate was relatively low. It was like 160 for me, which is just starting to crest into to threshold. But my speed was like 25 miles an hour. And it is a type of course, like I said, where it's typically slower out and faster coming back. And coming back, my heart rate was much higher. It was like 170s, 175 and speed had slowed down to, I mean, some sections it was back up pretty high, but some sections it was down to 22 miles per hour. So if I was going to do it perfectly all over again, I, you know, when you don't have power on your bike, one of the mistakes I made is that I, you know, you feel like you're holding back. You feel like you're pacing the first quarter really well, but there was very clearly, I was going quite quick in the first quarter and then had a little bit of a fade later on really normal mistakes when you don't have power, that kind of stuff where you could have much more even profile across the whole, across the whole race. But most importantly, I think the difference was, is that I was just, while I was out there, I was absolutely committed to the little things that might make me go faster. I kept thinking about, you know, is my head low? Do I feel like I'm holding good speed? Where's the smoothest part of the road for my bike to be traveling fast is my cadence keeping my bike moving quickly. Was I getting bogged down or was I spinning too high? I'd feel for, is my bike still moving as fast as it possibly can go? And I kept, you know, I kept on top of myself on those things. And then the correction I made from nationals is I, the one thing I'd said after nationals was I felt like my concentration wasn't good for 40 K. I let my mind wander too much. And this time I kept focused on, am I concentrating hundred percent to keeping my bike going as fast as possible this entire 40 K. And, and as I was focused on those things, like, is my bike traveling fast? Am I concentrating? And one of those things that was a cue for me of if I was concentrating or not is, is I'm, am I looking up the road? Because I found that at nationals, when I was looking down at my bike, trying to focus on keeping my head really, really low, my mind started to wander and my bike wasn't traveling as quickly as it possibly could. And I noticed that after the race, this race, I kept checking in, 
am I concentrating and am I looking up the road so that I can feel if my bike is continuing to move as fast as possible in every moment. And I did that the whole way. And, and, you know, I think those were the main things that allowed me to actually have a good race. It wasn't that I was fresh. It wasn't that I was perfectly uh, trained for a 40 K it wasn't uh, any of those things. It was that I showed up and I committed to the fact that I was there to race And then I paid attention to the detail of every moment of the things that I could do better than I did the last time. And when I did those, it resulted in a, in a faster race on the day. So that those were my main takeaways for myself. And, and that, you know, I think are teachable moments for people listening today on, on racing. Um, that was awesome. Definitely a step up from our, our pre-conversation. So thank you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. I, I think one of the big takeaways that you threw in there was that you had like a, a physical sensation that you associated with a mental cue. And I think that we can all have like these mantras or these mental cues that we want to give ourselves or remind ourselves, but to, to have something physical to kind of bring you back to that mental, like, um, mental side, I think is, is really good. I think some people don't know exactly like, like when or how to, to kind of use those mantras or use those mental strategies. So I think having, having an association that kind of goes back and forth from the physical to the mental is, is really important to, to help keep you engaged because it is easy to, to let your mind wander. And, and, you know, like you said, as soon as your mind wanders and like you turn your head sideways, you lose two seconds because your helmet goes and you're in a TT. So right. having something physical to, to get you back to that and, and, yeah. And as simple as where your eyes are looking, I think that's, that's great because that's something that you're like, you're always going to be like looking, right. So, so having it be as simple as that makes it very easy to have that, that loop kind of always, always being always running through of like, Oh, am I thinking about what I'm supposed to be thinking about? Am I looking where I am? So it's something that's very easy to kind of keep that loop going of like, am I in the moment or am I not? Yeah, especially on a course like that, where it's a false flat up and the rough pavement's kind of rough and you've got a headwind, which was the case all the way out there. It would be really easy to, you know, be looking down and get a little bit behind the gear and get a little bit bogged down. And so in each moment, I made sure like, you know, that was the big thing for me. Just keep, look, you know, tuck under the wind, but look up the road, look up the road. And every time I looked up the road, I could then feel what my bike was doing. And, and then the next thing was, am I traveling as fast as I possibly can in this moment? And you string enough of those together all the way out there in a hard section. And you're no longer thinking about like the wind and the rough pavement and, and all of those things, um, and struggling to, you know, switching gears and that kind of thing. You're switching gears, with a purpose you're switching, you know, when I say switching gears, you're clicking through the gears against the wind and against the grade and the rough roads to, to feel that sensation of your bike traveling faster versus it's much different cue than I'm shifting gears because I'm struggling and this feels hard. It's I'm looking up the road, I'm shifting gears to continue to feel my bike moving quickly. And so I think, um, you know, no matter what my days were like before or what I felt on that start line or how I felt when I woke up that morning, because that's all I was thinking about and focused on. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm fit from the year. Then I was able to, to travel pretty fast for a 40 K. Awesome. So yeah, you were basically like being proactive about like keeping your bike moving quickly, as opposed to being reactive to like, Oh crap, I'm starting to slow down. So, and that that's, that forethought or that like extra second or extra two seconds every time of being in the moment, I think again, is, is when you're fighting for seconds is, is big. Um, 
And I think that that adds up over any length race, right? I mean, if like, if you're talking about an Ironman and you're, you're staying ahead of the curve there, that's an extra three or four seconds where you're not in, in the wrong gear and, and, you know, pushing, pushing too big of a gear. And if you'd stack up all those big gear efforts over the course of 112 miles, that's, you just burned a lot of matches before the run. So I think that, that being in the moment is, is a pretty darn good takeaway. Yeah, especially, I mean, especially on the run, right? I mean, I think that's where people in Ironmans could really benefit from that sort of thought pattern. And and as we get into talking about executing races and tough conditions and those kinds of things, I mean, this is a, a good lesson and good lead into that kind of thing. You know, like we looked at St. George where, you know, we everybody thought it was going to be 104 and holy man, it was a different kind of day. So like how to how to handle that. Some of these, I think, what changes someone from being able to um, just react and handle a day like that, or actually execute to a point they have a successful day, regardless. I think there's some lessons within what even we're talking about right now that they're going to be able to apply to, 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 you know, conditions like that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I totally agree. And I think like when you were talking about the TT, we, you know, we just kind of said, well, you know, you had rough roads, you had headwinds and, and, um, you know, false flat or whatever else. And, and like that, that could be like, you know, your excuse log of why you didn't break an hour, right. Those could be the things that are like, oh, well, I couldn't do it because of these things, but like, you knew that was the case and everyone else knew that was the case too. If they did any sort of research, I was going to race that race. Right. So those are, those are the same conditions that everyone is dealing with. And, and, um, you know, that wasn't your race report, right. You were like, hey, I broke an hour. I paid attention. And, and, that even wasn't in there at all. And so I think that's, um, I think that kind of transfers over to like, we're talking about St. George where everyone thought one thing and it was very different. I mean, I wasn't there, but I, I watched a bit of the race and heard a lot of race reports and read a few. And, um, it sounded like, again, like depending on where you started, you had some crazy downpours and some crazy winds. And for some of those people that was like, um, you know, massive headwind trying to go uphill or trying to go down downhill and going like 14 miles an hour off 300 Watts. Um, while somebody else didn't catch that wind at all. Cause they were a little, they got to start earlier and, um, yeah, we're getting a downpour for that big descent, which, uh, for some people that aren't super comfortable, like if you live in Phoenix and Tucson, and you don't ride in the rain, you're like, Oh, this is a new experience. It's right. Literally like flash flooding down this road as I'm trying to go 50. Um, I, I think the main thing for, you know, when conditions, whether they're tough conditions or the, they're the conditions we exactly expect, or they change while you're going, I think, you know, we, you always hear the, you know, the phrase, the one percenters, the people who can race and they race well, regardless of what happens. And then we read those, we were having a funny conversation before about the racers that they always have some kind of an excuse, right? They've got a laundry list of excuses that they pull out of why it never works out for them. So we see it sort of across the board. Um, and I think, you know, the ones that, that have that ability to adapt and race, there is that common thread that they, they're able to concentrate despite what is happening to them, right? Like that's a really key thing. You even see it when, you know, people have a flat during a race or, you know, we've, we've talked about this. They're not, they're not reactionary to what's happening in that moment. They're confident that they have been here a million times 
and they don't react to what is happening to them in the moment. They just continue to stay disciplined in what it's going to take to keep going fast in that moment, despite whatever is being thrown at them, whether it be weather, whether it be heat, whether it be a cramp, whether it be a flat or a mechanical, they just handle it where they read what's going on around them and they continue to go fast anyways, for whatever that is, because everybody's dealing with, like you said, everybody's dealing with the same thing, or maybe they're not, maybe, you know, nobody got a flat that day and you're the person that got the flat, but that's, you handle that despite, you know, you've, you've had a million flats in training, probably, you know what to do, you know how to calmly do that. And then you know how to respond afterwards. And I think, you know, there's going to be two types of athletes. There's the ones that learn how to do that. Some people naturally do that. That's in their, their character. And they just handle things like that. It's a skill that can be learned for sure over time. And then there's some athletes that never get it, right? They just never learn it. They just, they just pull from the laundry list of excuses forever, even when they don't exist. We've seen those athletes, right? They don't even, the, 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 there's like things that don't even happen right. or they're not even a reason, but they somehow <laughs> find them in order to explain why it didn't work out for them. Oh, so. you can, you can find reasons anywhere, right? You, you <laughs> dig hard enough. Right. Um, so yeah, one of the, one of the things I heard you say in there was that they're confident enough to be able to like be in the moment. And I think that's, I think that being confident, no matter like your fitness level or where you are in the race, you can be confident in your abilities to, to stay in the moment and handle the situation. And I think that confidence is, is really important to, to be able to not react. And, you know, you don't have to be like the person who's going to win the race to be confident, right? You can be confident in your race plan and how you can execute the race and the training you've done and the experience you have. And, and yeah, I think being confident enough to, to say, okay, like this is going to take me longer than I thought because there's it's windy and I'm going to shift a little more and I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to stay in the moment and, and yeah, still execute the race. I can execute in this moment with these conditions instead of getting reactionary and like sitting up and getting angry and saying it's windy, you're going slow and, and getting that negative thought spiral. And, and um, yeah, I think you, if you have the more experiences you have, like usually you can kind of gain some of that, but it also doesn't have to be through a ton of experience, right? You can kind of like learn how to be mentally present. Um, but yeah, I, one of the big takeaways that you were just talking about is, as I think that if athletes can be confident in, in their execution, no matter what, that that can be, that can be a real help. Like yeah. you always see those, those races are like the swim is canceled or whatever. And everyone's like freaking out. Yeah. And then, and then you see 10 other guys that are like, okay, well, 10 other people, I'll just grab my other runners and this is going to be a duathlon. And like, yeah. I've done a bunch of running, so it doesn't matter. Um, and so, yeah, just being able to like be confident that you can do whatever the changes are. Um, and then and make, and make decisions, you know, making really good decisions for yourself in the moment. I mean, that is a skill that can be learned as well. And we try and teach it through our coaching. And, and unfortunately it's a bit of a problem in the coaching industry. Sometimes I call it, um, overcoaching or, or athletes looking for, a you know, they don't understand that part of, part of a skill of being a good racer in a sport like ours is that you have to be able to adapt and make good self-corrections and good decisions for yourself as an athlete. So one of the things that I find important in coaching is we, we give our athletes these tools to be able to do that. You know, I had an athlete that was racing in St. George this weekend and we had 
come up with a, an, a race plan based on it being really hot out. And, you know, I've worked with him a long time and he, you know, we know each other really well and he is confident in his ranges and numbers and, and his ability to self adjust and adapt based on knowing what I would tell him and what we practice in training in millions of different sessions. And he knew he was like, I can probably ride these climbs, you know, a little in different ranges than what we had originally set out to do because it's not 104. And he, he was confident in that decision because he knew he's like, it's cooler conditions. I know what I can do. I know what my heart rate's saying. I know what the weather's doing. Um, he is technically a very strong rider. So the wind didn't bother him. The storm didn't bother him. He mentally isn't reactionary towards adversity. He knows how to just stay calm and focused and he knew it wasn't going to affect his run. And so as a result, he had a better bike ride and probably one of his best bike rides on a course that, you know, he, he could have just like, Oh no, these are the exact Watts that I have to stick to regardless of whether it's cold. And now it's windy and there's a storm and it's crazy. So I'm going to react to that and, and go backwards. He, he did, he did a really good job, right? He was able to self-adjust and self-correct and, and knew exactly what those numbers would be based on what we've done in training for years and in the entire preparation and, and, you know, all kinds of different sessions and, and could actually execute a better race because of it based on what was happening in the moment. Cause, cause we're not going to be out there holding your hand in those moments. You know, we might even come up with a perfect race plan for a certain set of conditions. And then like this last weekend, it just, it changes. So hopefully you've done a good job of teaching your athletes, like, Hey, they're going to be able to make that adjustment on the fly while they're out there because they, they have that confidence and they know, and, and they've been there before. So, yeah, I know. I think that's a really good example. I think everyone does get caught up in like, well, what are your goal Watts? And like, even a course like St. George, it's like, well, your goal Watts for which part of the course you're talking normalized power. Like, I mean, it's, it's just, um, it's a hard course to be like, oh, we'll just sit on 270. That's easy. Yeah. Um, Cause now. yeah, you just can't do that. Right. And so, yeah, you definitely, um, you have to have ranges and, and then, yeah, like when it's 105, obviously you gotta have to have different, have a different plan than if it's not. And so that's cool that, um, he was able to kind of adjust and say, I can ride a little harder because it's only 75. Right. Right. Um, if people like a good visual for, for this as well, um, it might be worth just as a visual to watch. Watch online some YouTube, uh, if you can find them, some YouTube caps of horse racing. You'll see like certain horses that once they've got their blinders on and they get out of the gates, they're just no matter what's going on around them, they're absolutely able to run hard and fast. And then you'll see other horses that get a little distracted or get spooked, or if there's like, say a tumble or a crash or something like that, like horses and jockeys that they're able to just absolutely stay on the rail on the right lead and, and run fast, no matter what's happening in the crowds, what's happening in the dirt, what's happening around them, what's happening with jockeying for positions, all that kind of stuff. And, and with animals, it's really obvious because when a horse spooks or they, they look backwards, you can see it really clearly as humans, we're better at hiding that stuff. And then we come up with excuses. Right. Um, but animals can't, they don't, they don't have excuses. They just react to what's happening around them. Some of them, we call them racers, right? They're racers. You know, which ones they are, no matter what's happening. Once they walk into that gate and the gates open up, they're racers. Then they go. 
Man, I've got to get better at hiding it. I feel like I always look around and people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I just got a little bored, you know, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. Um, yeah, the other thing about that course is that downhill. That was brutal. I can't believe they did that. I uh, I did not realize how how much of a downhill that was until looking at it afterwards. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a real fast downhill. And if you had, if you had the wrong wheels on for that downhill and that wind, you definitely would have had to, to have some good bike handling skills to get down that. Um, Jesse, I wanted to ask you too, a little bit about, you know, as a coach and as an athlete, if there's a certain things that you notice in anyone that you've coached where they might consistently, and, and I'm asking this just because there's the two of us, it would be like, if I'm asking myself this question as well, if there's consistently things you see in someone that have them mismatch that mark. So they, you know, they train really, really well and all the numbers are there on paper and you go through your race plan and, and they do have that confidence going in and you are confident in them as a coach as well. You see like, Oh yeah, this, looks like everything is right on the tick to go ahead and, and do it. And as we go through this conversation and these things that we're pointing out and talking about, is there anything in those athletes that you see that, you know, you're just sort of saying like, man, they just always seem to slightly miss the mark or they, they aren't able to execute the same way they do in training as they do in racing, or it's, it, it ends up being, cause we don't want to just say that people make most people aren't trying to make excuses. You know, they're really out there trying their hardest and they're, it's important to them. They put all their money and their hard work and blood and sweat and tears into this. So it's important to them to go out there and, and do as well as they can. But we have certainly seen those athletes where they just like, you know, man, they just keep missing the mark compared to what they're doing in training as what's your thoughts on that as a coach. So, yeah, I've seen that a couple of ways. I've seen like the, the confidence that builds throughout a taper where, you know, you have a race plan 10 days out and just to throw numbers out there, you're like, okay, like 250 Watts sounds like a good goal to shoot for. Let's kind of get our head around that. And then as the taper goes along, the athletes, actually, my legs feel pretty good. And you get like that, that text message or whatever, like five or six days down, they're like, oh, I think, I think 265 feels like more reasonable. And then like three days out, they're like 275. And, and then so I've seen that, that confidence kind of, kind of backfire in that regard where, you know, all of a sudden athletes gain superhuman strength as they get closer to a race. And, and then, so yeah, they kind of like sabotage the race by, um, getting overconfident in the taper. Um, but yeah, I've, I've also had, you know, seen it from the other side and definitely as an athlete and as a coach where you know, you go to a race and you're like kind of firing on all cylinders and then you just end up, I guess, flat on race day and, and nothing seems to go as planned. And, um, and yeah, I've definitely like had those conversations afterwards. You're kind of scratching your head and you're like, was there like some small obstacles that, you know, there's always things you can find, right? Like, and not to call them excuses, especially if it's like something you're pulling out with an athlete, there definitely can be like reasons um, but yeah, I, um, those are always the tough ones, right. When you're like, well, you were just like kind of 10% off or 6% off all day. And, and you know, what's, uh, what happened there. And, and I think there's definitely a lot of it that, that comes down to like 
just being in the moment of the race and being like, like you said, like, while I'm here, I might as well like go really hard where you kind of get there. And like you were talking about on the starting line, how you're like, I'm kind of tired. And, and you kind of like lean into the wrong side of your brain in that moment. And I've seen that with, with some athletes and I've seen it myself where, yeah, you kind of like psych yourself out before the gun goes off where, um, yeah, I, um, I have I, um, one race in my mind, particular for me, where I was doing Ironman Wales, and I was I was actually super fit, and just got there, and like the travel kind of killed me, and was a little bit sluggish on the race start, and just like let that get in my head, and and then just kind of had this negative spiral all day, where I mean, yeah, it was windy and it was cold and rainy, and I was not prepared for that as as much as I wanted to be, and so I just like kind of kept moving backwards in the race all day and got done. And I was like, that was not, I was way fitter than that. That was not what I had, I had trained for. And, 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 uh, yeah. And I, I do think that like, yeah, I mean the, the, yeah, I mean, I I can come up with like a list of, you know, Jimmy Archer excuses for why I had a crap day, (laughs) but, um, I think a lot of it was that mindset of, of kind of leaning into the excuses that I was like experiencing and, and reacting to like all the things that were going wrong. And instead of just being like confident that I could overcome all these small obstacles and, and leaning forward into that, but just moving forward, just staying in the moment, just like, it doesn't even have to be like positive. Like sometimes I like to try and be like relentlessly positive, but it's just more just like staying present. And um, it can be positive if that works for you. But I think it's, it's just like staying present and, doing the things you can do in each moment to, to stay going instead of letting your mind get bogged down. Um, I think the key piece of that too, is actually having an action that is going to keep you. Cause it's one thing we talk about mindset. It's like, okay, I'm thinking more positively, but it's the actual action. So let's like take the whales example there. It might've been that like in those moments, you actually needed more calories and that could have been like an action that you could have had control over to shift what you needed to perform in a percentage closer to your fitness level. So like, for me, it was looking up the road, like, yeah, it's windy, it's bumpy, it's a false flat. But as long as I'm looking up the road, I can feel if my bike is moving quickly or not. So it's, I think it's identifying when we have these moments of our mind is starting to wander to have an actual physical action you can do. That's going to keep you within the percentage of your fitness level. And, and then you're, you're doing things to, to actually keep yourself like getting going fast for what you brought that day. And, and the other, the, the first example that you had, you know, I used to listen to, uh, I had, you know, was friends and raced back in the day with Chris McCormick. And he used to say things like, you know, you're never going to race too much further away from what you do in training every day. And so if you train for months and months and months, and you think just because of a taper, because of race, all of a sudden you're going to be 20% faster than you were the last six months. Like you're kidding yourself. You can see those people on the course and they're probably going to blow themselves up. He also used to say like how he would end up reeling people in on the marathon is if he knew the exact course record and the average times for a run course and he knew the run splits of most of his competitors and he knew what he could do. And if he took a split on them and they were running like 20 seconds faster per mile than 
even the course record, he was like, yeah, they're going to blow up. You know, there's no way that they're going to keep running that fast unless it's a miracle that day. And so he was like, if I just stay patient and I stay within, you know, close to what my fitness level is and what I've done in training over the last six months, then I'm going to have a great day and and I'm probably going to catch them or they're going to DNF or they're going to, you know, all of these things, they're going to slow down or whatever. And I'm going to end up going past them. And, and, you know, 99% of the time he was right. So he won a lot of really big races that way. And so I think like on saying the two sides of what you're talking about, I think the people that get overconfident in their taper is to have that reminder that, Hey, like you're, you are what you do most of the time. And that leans back on what I was saying is that I was really tired and I could have let all those negative thoughts come in my head and, and used it. But I was like, well, I'm fit and I'm here. So as long as I have like these tasks to stay on top of, to keep my bike moving fast, I'm probably going to perform within a percentage of what I can do on any given day. Right. And on, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, on a Saturday, on a Sunday, like I'm going to be within a percentage of what I do all the time. And, and if I do that, then I'm, you know, it might result in a, in a good performance or typically will. So I think even looking at both sides of those spectrum of like overly confident and overshooting because of the taper, or maybe not having a physical proactive task to keep yourself moving forward. When you, when you start to get a little negative, I think both of those come back to, you know, staying in that percentage of what you typically do in training, that's what you're going to be. And as long as you stay pretty close to that, you'll go, you'll go pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I have that kind of piggybacks on that is, um, like a lot of times in the moment you might need to like slow down in order to go faster later on. Right. Like whether it's in transition, if I like, and I'm, I like sticking to the me example, so I don't want to like talk about what a bunch of athletes did wrong. Um, right. but, <laughs> but like, you know, I had a vest there. I could have threw it on. I could have slowed down for 30 seconds and like probably would have been a lot happier the rest of the day. Had I done that. Or like, like you were talking about, if I just like slow down, like maybe I need to roll slowly through an aid station and, and grab a couple of like extra bottles and, and a couple of gels or something, and just like take care of some things like that in the moment and then be faster for the next six hours of my life. Instead of like everyone just kind of being panicky and like, oh, like I need to go super fast right now. Like yeah. ha having the confidence again to like, okay, like I know I need to adapt right now and I know I'm in a crappy headspace and that probably means I'm low on sugar or I'm freezing and whatever it is. And, um, so yeah, deciding to have a, a good proactive decision on what you need to do in order to, again, go faster for the next six hours and not worry about exactly what happens in the immediate two or three minutes. Um, yeah. I remember seeing a bunch of pictures from Ironman Louisville, the year was freezing where like, um, like Chris, um, just basically on his last name, Chris was wearing like some like giant starter jacket and Lisa Roberts had like oven mitts on and all these people just like were grabbing all this stuff from like fans and just putting it on because like, they didn't, they didn't have enough stuff, but they were like, they were like, Oh, I'm really cold right now. And I'm not going to ride fast, really cold. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to stop and I'm going to steal this starter jacket off this little kid and I'm going <laughs> to wear it for the rest of the race. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, so like, then that ended up being a really good decision, right? They, they ended up having like decent days, whereas the people who didn't stop ended up DNFing because they were frozen. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that we were going to circle back to being in the present moment on all these <laughs> topics. That was kind of a, 
a surprising one, but I think that's good. I I'm uh, I'm racing next weekend. So this is really good for my, my mental state for, uh, for the race. So, so thank you for getting me mentally prepared. Oh yeah, for sure. I, um, yeah, I think, you know, when we race, it's, you know, you put all this hard work in and all this preparation and we go there really excited and, you know, it's something that we're really passionate about. And I think, you know, we talk about the one percenters, the ones that are real racers, it's that they, they're able to, you know, they're able to tap into these things pretty consistently. And these things can be learned and they can come from experience, but they can also just be, you know, an awareness. If you're aware of, you know, you're listening to this and you're heading to races and you're aware of these things, you might find that, Hey, you might find yourself in a bit of a predicament in a race, which is almost always going to happen in these long races. Like something's always going to happen. You stub your toe, you drop your bottle, you like whatever, but you might just react just slightly different. That will be in a proactive way. And it adds up seconds over time. And before you know it, you're having better and better races. So. Yeah. I have this buddy who, um, doesn't have children, but he's like, Oh, it's easy. They're just like either like thirsty, hungry, or tired. So, you know, you just, you just give a quick check for those three things, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, but it's racing is kind of the same, right? Like you, you probably like, it's probably something that you can control, right? You, maybe you're like, you know, maybe you're cold, maybe you're thirsty, maybe you're hungry, like maybe you need a little caffeine, whatever it is, but you know, like, it's probably one of those things that you can control. And like at an Ironman, you've got a buffet every, whatever, 15 miles. So you can probably control it like pretty soon mm-hmm. if, if you have the awareness and like, I like to have like a Rolodex of things in my head that like could go wrong and like possible solutions. So again, like maybe before the race, you're doing some troubleshooting, some like mental practice on like, okay, if I feel like this, like maybe this is the actual cause. And so you can kind of have that Rolodex of like, have I taken enough salt? Have I had enough fluid? And and so you have like some, some kind of solutions to, to how you're feeling already built up in there. If you're not a natural racer like that. So something like that can be a good exercise to go through so that you can think less on race day. Cause yeah, I always try to encourage people to not think on race day as much as they can. I know Scott used to say to me before my Ironmans, he was like, look, you train so much and you're so fit. He's like, you could literally do this thing on water, salt, and a couple packets of sugar and you'd be just fine. He's like, there isn't anything that's going to happen on race day that you haven't seen a thousand times in training over the last number of years. So he's like, just go out there and do what you do every single day and, and you'll, you'll do just fine. And so I, I always remember those conversations. It's like those real simple conversations that over time just added up true and true again. So so, yeah, I think that's, you know, if you can, can remember those things, then you'll become closer and closer to one of those one percenters instead of the excuse, carrying the excuse bag around with you. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know. I thought that was, that was a great uh, little recap on, on race execution. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot more to race execution and the actual nitty gritties of, you know, could we detail out every little, like your warm up and transitions and swim, bike and run and all that stuff. But I think the main takeaways here, I think we're giving sort of like a, a good go task list on if you're going to go to any given race and what you're going to check in on with yourself. I think like the one thing you can take away from this is when I have a thought, do I have a planned action on how I'm going to handle that? Or when something happens, do I have a planned action on how I'm going to handle that to continue to go as fast as possible that day? And I think if you can take that away from this, your race execution, no matter what your plan is going in, you're going to have great results. And so, you know, no matter whether it's, you know, 
a little bit hotter and humid in Chattanooga this weekend, or five of the guys go way too fast and you get caught up in the group or, you know, whatever. And, and you're, you're going to be able to make good decisions for yourself. Cause it really is. It's, um, you know, an adapt and roll kind of sport. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah. And I did really like your, your kind of feedback loop you had. So if people can come up with a, a good feedback loop for themselves to kind of stay in the moment, um, I think that'll be super helpful. And I'm definitely going to have some, some cues for myself for Chattanooga. Um, All right. Well, thanks so much, Jesse. Good luck this weekend. We won't keep you on here any longer because you've got a lot to do to get ready to go and um, good luck. We'll all be cheering and hope you kick some ass. Well, thank you. And uh, congrats on breaking an hour and yeah, we'll see you next week. Cheers.